Ready? I hope you're half as excited as I am. So uh, thank you, Isaiah, for uh, always bringing the energy. He always does it, doesn't he? Every time. It's like, ah, where does he get that from? Well, listen, the next 40 days, if I'm going to be, I'm going to be really bold. The next 40 days have the opportunity to be the biggest impact our church has had in our community. And not because I'm leading something or not because of the words or the worship, because of, of what we're going to walk through and how intentional we're going to be. And I'm very excited to, to share this with you. I have to ask you a question, though. Have you ever had really, really good intentions, but completely messed up? Okay, so my wife is like, head's about to fall off because I do this all the time. Uh, you know, when, when we had our fifth wedding anniversary, we decided we were going to go to Hawaii. And uh, we saved up for it. And uh, in our fourth year of marriage, Jenny had developed some joint issues. And so we had been less than active, as I guess how you would say that. We put on our honeymoon pounds in our fourth year. And so when we found out that we had the opportunity to go to Hawaii, we we were excited. We decided we're going to go out there. And our itinerary was pretty simple. We wanted to eat fresh seafood. Of course, we'd start with eating. Number two, we wanted to watch some incredible sunsets. And three, we just wanted to sit on the beach. What else is there to do in Hawaii, right? So what we did was um, we had a friend who lived out there, and when she moved out there, she became a pretty active hiker. And so she was exploring all, all of the island of Oahu and going on these incredible hikes and seeing these beautiful views. And so when we get there, our first day out of the gate, first full day on the island, she says, oh, by the way, tomorrow you have to get up before sunrise because we're going on a hike. And Jenny and I are like, whoa, 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 no. Has anybody ever heard of the pillbox hike on Oahu? Great, so this is going to be the first time you, and if I mess it up, you won't know. So the pillbox hike is a public hike, and it heads up this mountain. Um, I don't know if you remember when President Obama went to Oahu. He went to Kailua Beach. It's a beautiful beach, and it looks directly east. And so this pillbox hike is a military ground that leads up to a military bunker that sits out and looks directly over Kailua Beach. And right off the beach, there's these two islands that jump out about 300 yards offshore. They just jump right up out of the water. And the sun comes up right between these two islands. And it's beautiful. It's, I mean, it's incredibly gorgeous. And so Jenny and I are looking at each other. We're like, man, we got to do some hiking while we're here. We've got to do this. And we're driving across the island. And there's, there's this hike called the Stairway to Heaven. And the Stairway to Heaven hike is literally what it sounds like. It, it reaches the highest point on the island of Oahu. From there, you can see across the mountain range into Honolulu and all the way back to the east side of the island looking at the sunrises and whatnot. It was the military satellites. That's how they would communicate with it. It was the highest point on the island. But it's illegal to hike on this hike. So you can't do it. It's guarded. It's, it's a government property. There's a guard there fenced off. If you, if you do this, it's a felony if you get caught, right? So guess what we did? Right, so if you know my wife, you're like, they didn't do it because there's no chance we're gonna break the law on this hike. Remember, our goal was what? eat seafood, sit on the beach, and watch sunsets, right? That's what the whole goal was. So we're no chance we're going to race it. But Christina says, well, why don't we do the Seven Waterfalls hike? This is a great hike. We're engineering like, we don't care because we're hooked. At the top of, of the pillbox hike, we're, we're so excited. I mean, we're sucking wind. Don't get me wrong, right? It's like, <laughs> that's how I, the video is if you ever watch it. But we're, we're hooked. And so we're like, Seven Waterfalls hike, great. I'm from Florida. I've never seen a waterfall. Let's do it. And so we get up there, we get out of the car, we don't have to get up before sunrise because this is in the forest. We get out, 
We walk out of the car, and she's like, you know, I've done this a couple times, but it's been a long time. We're like, who cares? The first one was so easy. There's no way we can screw this up. So we walk up to this beautiful little stream. It's about six or eight inches deep, all this, like, just really peaceful, calming, zen kind of place. And we cross over this little thing, and we're just following Christina, and we're telling stories and laughing and cutting up. And all of a sudden, we kind of, the, the, the trail turns and kind of looks up a steep hill. We're like, okay, well, whatever. We're following Christina. She's like tours by Christina now, so we're just good. So we're going up this hill, and it's all good until the ground underneath our feet goes from like ground to the slipperiest mud you can imagine. I mean, it's terrible. So much so that if this is a bamboo tree, we're walking and having to like brace our feet on the side of the tree. Otherwise, we're going to slide and go down the mountain like straight down. And Christina, at this point in time, decides it's a good time to tell us, you know, guys, I don't really know where we are, and I haven't known for like half an hour, but I thought that it's a waterfall hike, and water flows downhill, so we gotta go up. So, okay, and Chris, Jenny and I are like, all right, whatever, like, whatever. She knows what she's doing, right? So we get up there, and we're bracing our feet on these, on these bamboo trees and pulling ourselves up, and it's working really well for Christina, who's like 115 pounds, and for Jenny, who's slightly heavier, but for this big guy, oh no, I'm grabbing these bamboo trees and they're snapping like toothpicks. And I'm like slipping and falling and Jenny's cracking up laughing. Ah, Christine's like, what's the matter with you? I'm like, don't just go. So finally we get to the top, we hit the trail, we see a piece of flagging tape. And we think, thank God, someone's been on this trail in the last decade. So we might make it back to civilization. Finally we get to the trail, we get there and we hit this, the very highest waterfall. And it's this enchanted lagoon. It's really just quite beautiful. It's breathtaking. And we get in there. We're covered in mud now. We jump in the lagoon. It's super refreshing. And uh, we sit there for a minute, catch our breath. We walk back down the regular trail we were supposed to go and hit the other seven waterfalls. Who knew you should see seven on this hike? So we see the other seven and they're all beautiful. And we get back to the bottom and we find this little six or eight inch deep stream that's just really zenful and real beautiful. But this time when we go back to the car, we don't cross it. So we just missed it because we crossed over this little stream and we went way off. And what we found was that we weren't on the Seven Waterfalls hike when we were going up. We were on the Bamboo Forest of Death hike. That's what we decided. So am I wrong? I mean, that's exactly what we called it. And you know, I think that's pretty true of us as Christians too. See, sometimes we have the best of intentions and we completely miss what God has set out for us. And having the experience, I would tell you that in my walk with Jesus, I don't want the bamboo forest of death hike relationship with Jesus. I want the seven waterfalls hike with Jesus because it's significantly better. And see, we're not the only ones that have ever dealt with this. This happens all the time to Christians. I mean, think about the Israelites. They had the message, but they missed the Messiah. The Galatians, they had... God's grace, but they missed his purpose. Peter, who spent a lot of time with Jesus, knew, the, knew Christ, but he also missed God's purpose. And so, so many times we can clearly just miss out on what God has for us. But the cool thing is, is that even though we miss out on opportunities, they are never, never ceasing. There's so many opportunities. Jesus even says, that the harvest is what? 
plentiful, but the workers are few. So many opportunities to go out there and do so, so much good, we miss it sometimes. See, there's work for us to be done, and Jesus invites us to be those workers. So if we're his, his workers, we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we doing? And I'm going to submit to you today that we're miserably failing as followers. And I say we. Here's how I would say that. When you think about Jesus, what are some of the words that come to your mind? You can shout them out or you just think about them. I would say joy, love, kindness, grace, peace, right? Yes, these are words you would think about. Okay, cool. When you think about other Jesus followers, what thoughts come to your mind? Some of you would say really, really great things, and some of you would say, mm, well, you know, maybe not so great. But the real test is not that. The real test is, what do the people that we're trying to reach say about Jesus' followers? That's the real test. Five years ago, there was two gentlemen, David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons, spent three years polling young, unchurched, Americans to find out what they thought about Christians, not Jesus, but Christians. Can we start with that? Can we start there? Okay, so here's what they said. Millions of people polled. Here's what they said. Is it already up there? Yeah. Judgmental, hypocritical, anti-homosexual, too political, old-fashioned, out of touch, insensitive, and boring. Yeah, I was kind of sitting back a little bit too when I saw that. But I thought, wait a minute, hold on a second. Why is it that these people don't see how we as the church do so much good work with you know, inmates or in the prisons? Or why don't they see how we are always going out on mission to third world countries and helping those in need? Or why, didn't, why don't these people see the good that we did after Hurricane Irma or Hurricane whatever, that we typically lead that charge? Well, here's the truth. Unfortunately, Hostile characterizations of us as Christians from the media have stuck. And what's worse is that of these people who were polled, 50% of them said that they based their judgment on Christians based on a personal interaction with Christians. One of my guys I like to listen to, his name is Vody Bauckham, he says, if you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. All right? So many of the people outside of Christianity are judging Jesus and rejecting him because of Christians. Think about this. If Jesus is known for grace, which is getting a gift that you don't deserve, and we're known as judgmental, which is getting exactly what you deserve, then we've missed the mark. We're failing. If Jesus is known as love, and we're known as anti-homosexual, or whatever, we've missed the mark. If Jesus is known as unity, for unity, and we're known for division, then we've missed the mark. And that's where the Red Letter Challenge comes into play. Because I refuse to let the image of Jesus be that. And Zach Zender, who wrote the Red Letter Challenge, said, I don't want to leave the picture of Jesus that we're putting out to the world stay that way. I want to change that. If we give the right picture of who Jesus is to the world, naturally they'd fall in love with him, right? 
I mean, how could you not fall in love with a God who's full of grace and mercy and love and kindness and peace? It's impossible. After all that he's done for me, I'm not content with leaving that message the way that it is. And I think you're here because you don't want to leave it that way either. So here's the thing, guys. I don't just want to change the message of Jesus or the picture of Jesus, I'm sorry. We have to. Because people are rejecting him because of the image we're putting out. How do we do this? Well, Bill Hybels would address this problem. He did a, sur- a survey in one of his churches, and he found out that you know, churches are really, really good about bringing people in, what he would call seekers, into his church. Now, Bill Hybels is one of the largest church leaders in, the, in our country. He's been a church leader for most of his life, and he realized that we're great at bringing people in, but we're not very good at developing them into disciples. We can get them in, and we, we do that, and we make them feel comfortable by offering them therapeutic services, but we don't actually mature them and grow them. And so if that's the case for the largest church in America, or one of them, how do we change that? Let me tell you a story about a gentleman named Matthew Emmons. Anybody know this name, Matthew Emmons? You probably have heard it before. In Athens in 2004, the Olympics, Matt, Matt Emmons was one of the greatest shooters at the time. It was not a question at the, at the Olympics if, if Matthew Emmons would win gold. It was like, who's going to win second and third? Who's going to win silver and bronze? It was a no-brainer. This guy was the best shooter, people were saying, in the world at the time. And so he's a rifleman, and these riflemen, and these, you know, they're trained to shoot between heartbeats. So they have to go and do this challenge. They have to slow their heartbeats down and then shoot between heartbeats. And it's a game where, you know, gold is decided by millimeters. But going into the last round of his second medal, going in the last round, he's like miles ahead of everybody else. To win his second gold medal, all that he needs to do is to shoot a 9.3. And on the previous nine shots, his lowest score was 7.2. So it's like a laydown, right? This is going to be easy, no-brainer. So he comes up to the podium. He comes up, does his thing. He slows down, and he focuses himself. And he looks down his little gun, and he shoots, and sure enough, bullseye. Now, don't get me wrong. For most of you in this room, and and probably for me, hitting the target wouldn't be very difficult. Shooting a bullseye, probably a little bit more difficult, right? So Matt comes up. He smokes it, man. Bullseye. Perfect. And sure enough, he's excited he's going to take the gold medal home. But there's one small problem. He shot the wrong target. So he did what's called a crossfire. He shot across a lane, smoked that target, but it was the wrong one. So instead of getting a 7.2 or 9.3, whatever he needed, he got a zero. And he went from first place by a mile to eighth place. He didn't even medal. Did you imagine all the work and preparation and doesn't even get a medal? Here's his reaction after he shot the wrong target. He said in a press interview afterwards, the last time that I crossfired was six or seven years ago, so it wasn't even on my mind. I was more focused on my breathing, than I was the target. Hmm. Why do I bring this up? Because if the greatest shooter in the whole wide world at the time can shoot and hit a bullseye, but it's the wrong target, do you think we're capable of doing that too? Yeah. You guys are so good. Check this out. As Christians, we have the best of intentions But if we're succeeding at hitting the wrong targets, we actually can do more harm than good. 
If the targets we're hitting are the judgmental, anti-homophobic, out of touch, hypocritical, decisive bigots who are racist and old-fashioned and boring, then we're clearly not hitting the targets that Jesus has set out for us. Would you agree? There's a lot of noise out there to contend with. Even in our faith, if you ask somebody, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? You get a lot of different answers. Whether it's somebody who's a brand new Christian or somebody who's been doing this for years. If you ask someone who's been a Christian for years, sometimes their answer on what a daily relationship with Jesus is like, it can vary so much. So how do we know what we should shoot for? What is the right target? Well, that's where the red letter challenge comes in. What if... We who followed Jesus actually looked into his word and did what he said to do. And some of you go, that's it? That's the big thing, man? That's how we're going to change the whole world? And some of you go, hold on, man. He says some pretty crazy stuff in there. You want me to do some of that? Yeah, because I think it's the most brilliant plan, and I think that because it's not from a man, but because... It's Jesus. Let me give you a hint, right? The guy knows what he's doing. And if he's the one setting the target, if we just listen to what he says, I think we're going to be all right. And so for the next 40 days, everything we do here is going to be focused on taking the words of Jesus and applying them. We're going to talk about it in our small groups. We're going to talk about it from the stage on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. We're gonna, everything is geared towards the Red Letter Challenge. So if you don't have this book, please go get it. Because it really, really is going to be super powerful for you and for your relationship with Christ. Check out this verse. My son loves this one. When we do the Red Letter Challenge, there's two things we have to do. Number one, we have to hear the words of Jesus. And number two, we have to put them into practice. Here's how Jesus said it. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose, The wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Hmm. If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, this is the time when Jesus interjects a lot of countercultural ideas into the world, and he really kind of says some things that are kind of out there, but everybody who heard the Sermon on the Mount was amazed. And as we read it today, it's still amazing. And he wraps up this massive sermon with something that now we can kind of Remember almost like a, a fairy tale, a, a little kid story, right? The big bad wolf, the three little pigs. It's kind of like Jesus is saying, hey, if you want your house to survive the rising wind, the, the rising water and the wind, and that big bad wolf from coming and blowing it down, just do what I say. And then in Luke 11, Jesus says it this way. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God. And that's the rest of the verse. Oh, wait. And obey it. And if you ever thought, like if you ever want to know what, if you really should trust Jesus, you got to go to James. Because James is the brother of Jesus. You, know, you always get that sibling rivalry. So if James is saying something about Jesus, it's got to be true. And it probably hurts him to say it because it's like, it's my brother, but he's right. You know what I mean? 
So this is what James says in James 1.22. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. What? Oh, you said it, not me. Okay. That's the big idea. See, guys, to change the picture, we've got to take Jesus' words. We've got to put them into our life. We've got to listen to them, and we have to do what it says. And we have to get really, really literal about it. Jesus has called us to be his disciples. We get to represent him in our world. It's the best opportunity, the biggest opportunity, I believe, that we have in our lives. We're given a lot of great opportunities in America, but this is the best one to represent Jesus to the world. And so what does he say? Well, Zach, who wrote the book, again, you know, wrote the Red Letter Challenge, said, I spent six years studying the words of, of Christ. And as I went back and I studied them again and again and again, I found that Jesus kind of always talked about five different categories. He always kind of broke everything down to five things. When he was talking to his disciples of what they should be doing, there was five different categories. So I think if we take these five categories and make them our target, we're going to be pretty close to being on point. Would you agree? Yes or no? Or yes or yes? Okay, perfect. So here's what I think the five categories are. Number one, being. We are all human beings. And so often we try to be human doings. If I just do, if I do more, if I do more, if I do more, then I'll be. Now, you're a human being. So many times when Jesus talks about his disciples, first of all, he invites us into a relationship with him. He invites us to just be with him and know who he is. Because before we could do things through him and in him, in his name, he invites us to just be Number two, forgiving. So Zach's church is kind of a little bit more edgy. And uh, on one of their billboards when they started the church, they had the song, the song uh, All About That Bass came out. Does anybody know this song by Megan Trainer? I'm all about that bass, about that bass. So on the billboard, they put Jesus is all about that grace, about that grace. Like that was their billboard, right? So, so you know, he says that Jesus, don't forget, Jesus is all about that grace. Right? So many times when it comes to forgiving, we have to receive God's forgiveness and forgive those people who we thought we probably never could. And sometimes that person is the one in the mirror. I'm just going to leave that one there for you for a second. Number three, serving. After spend time, spending time with him and receiving his forgiveness, we got to go out into the world. we got to share love and truth with people. Number four, giving. It's come to my attention that Jesus talked a lot about a lot, of, a lot of things. But number one and number two were the kingdom of God and money. And I promise you that as you look through the Bible, you will not find any stingy Christians. And it's not always money. Sometimes it's an act or it's a service or it's a life. But you can't be a stingy Christian. Number five, going. It's no coincidence that in almost every gospel, and even at the end of Acts when Jesus is there, the last thing he challenges us to do is to go out and make disciples, to go out and be his hands and feet, to go out and be his mouthpiece to the world. So we got to go. Being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. Those are our five, ta- our five targets. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about those five things. And if you haven't written those five things down yet, we're going to leave it on the screen for you a little bit longer because it's being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. Did I say giving twice? Good. 
So over the next 40 days, I get to be the tour guide. The guy at Disney World who's got the flag running around like crazy, leading you where we're going to go, at least on Saturday nights. And I promise you this one thing, by putting Jesus' words into practice, you're going to find the life that God has made for you. I promise you that. But before I leave you on this journey, and I let you go, there's a couple things we've got to talk about. First of all, if you don't have the book, it's in the lobby, go get it. Okay, It's a donation, so I'm going to give you a little hint. You don't have to pay 20 bucks, but it's a donation. You can pay more. Okay. Number two, I know, I shouldn't have told him that. No, you're good. Number two. Give yourself, give your all to this. It's absolutely worth it. We're going to start this thing on Tuesday. The first week's going to be an introduction of where we're going because in order to get somewhere, you have to know where you are, right? So when you get your book, know that we're going to start it on Tuesday. Read the introduction, get familiar with the, with the format, but we're going to start it on Tuesday. Also, when some of you hear a challenge, I know, because I know people, when some of you hear a challenge, you get really excited. You're like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm going to do this. We're going to nail this thing. I'm going to knock it out of the park. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to check all the boxes. And you get really, really competitive. Hey, we're way early. So keep playing. It's cool. Uh, caught up in doing this thing. Don't go to human doing. Go to human being. Right? Be in this thing. Number one, invite Jesus into your red letter challenge. How foolish would it be if we said, God, I want to be more like you and I want to change the picture that I'm projecting to the world, but I'm not going to let you come with me. I'm going to do it all on my own. That's foolishness, right? Bring Jesus into your red letter challenge experience. Here's a cool thought. In John 1.14, the Bible says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, God saw the problem that people could not connect with him, that the sacrificial system was not really working anymore. So at the right time, he interjects his son, who was with him from the beginning. Early in the book of John, it says the word was with God, and he was with God in the beginning. Always was, always was, always will be, always has. Right? Paraphrased. So he takes the word and makes the word flesh. And then now we have this relationship with Jesus, right? He gives himself on a cross. But then he leaves, and he gives us what? The Holy Spirit. And now he says, hey, guess what? Now you get to be the image of what I am. You get to project who I am to the world. You get to take my words and make them flesh in you. It's a big challenge. Big shoes to fill. But if you invite Jesus into this journey with you, you can do it. I promise. Don't fall into the trap of doing this thing without Jesus. Every day as we go through this, Lord, something simple. Lord, just invite you into my red letter challenge this week that I would be more like you and I would learn who you are. Number two, invite others into your red letter challenge. Because as we go through things, there's going to be things that are really easy for you to do in the red letter challenge. It's not going to be a problem. And then there's going to be some things that are wicked hard. And you might feel like a failure at times, and there may be things that you can't get done, and that's okay. I want you to have a community around you, and it may be this group. Pastor Jeff's going to start one on Wednesday nights at 6.30 if you want to come and hang out with him and just kind of share the Red Letter Challenge. Jenny and I are going to do ones immediately come with us on Saturday night service. We're going to shoot down to the beach, right? Yep, perfect, we're doing that. And you're welcome to come with us and watch the sunset, and we'll just talk about what's going on. Because I want you to have community around you. 
There's a story that I heard about an older brother, this family that lived in Nebraska. And it's a mom and a dad and an older brother and a younger sister. And they go to this basketball game. Okay, can I just take a time out for a second? This is where this music's going to get really funny because this story's like real, real high emotion. But the music's really soft. So keep going, man. You're good. So, so they walk into this basketball game. And it's not like in Florida where we have like, you know, 16 different teams. And some of you cheer for the wrong one. And that's okay. We'll go with it. And some of you don't. And so when there's something going on with sports, we don't really have a lot of allegiance in Florida, right? Because we're a big mixed bag of people. But in Nebraska, there's nothing going on. Like, it's, that's nothing going on. You got the Cornhuskers and that's it. So when, when there's a basketball game, everybody unites behind the sport because it's that or like pick corn, I think. So they all go to these events. When there's a basketball game, there's thousands of people at these games. And so the, this family goes to the game and it's the mother, the father, the older brother, and the younger sister. We're going to call her Mary for this service, for this, for this image. So they walk in and the older brother notices that at halftime, there's a kitty slam dunk contest. Like they pick a couple kids out of the crowd, they come and do a slam dunk contest, and somebody wins a prize. And without telling her, the older brother does what? Signs her up, right? It's going to be awesome. And so they get to their seats, and they get a hot dog or a drink or whatever. And sure enough, halfway through the first quarter, the other brother says, oh, hey, Mary, by the way, I signed you up for that slam dunk contest. And she immediately is like, how dare you? I'm going to kill you. Like, yeah. He's like, don't worry about it. There's thousands of people here. No one, you're not going to get picked. It's going to be fine. And sure enough, halfway through the second quarter, ladies and gentlemen, for the best Kitty Slam Dunk Contest tonight, there's Tommy Thompson and Mickey McBride and Mary. And so she looks at her brother like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to dribble a basketball or slam dunk. What's it? He goes, don't worry, I got this. So they go out into the hallway outside of the gymnasium, and he has a box of Kleenex and a trash can. He says, listen, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly what you got to do to win this thing. See, these boys, I know boys because I'm a boy, but I'm too old to do the slam dunk contest, which is why I signed you up. So these boys are going to come up there, and they're just going to walk up, and they're going to power slam because that's how boys think. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. If you have more than 400 horsepower in your car, you should say yes because that's what you think about. So so uh, they go out there, and he's like, listen, they're going to go up and power slam, and it's going to be great, and everyone's going to like it, but you do some drama. So when you get up there, just take the ball and dribble past the hoop, and everyone's going to think like you screwed up but you didn't screw up. Then what I want you to do is come back around and I want you to two hand power slam behind and everybody's going to go nuts. She's like, I don't know if I can do that. He goes, just try it. Here's a box of Kleenex. Let's try it. And sure enough, halftime comes around. And what does the first boy do, right? Tommy Thompson steps up. Tommy Thompson's the kid whose family looks like they really, really like McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? So he walks up, he gets the ball. He doesn't even dribble, walks up to the ball, power slam. Yeah. And everyone goes nuts, right? Then there's Billy. He comes up, same thing. He gets the ball, looking at the goal. Don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. Runs up, power slam, and everybody goes nuts. And then there's Mary. She's got the ball, and she's dribbling. And she goes around the hoop, and everybody gasps. Oh, no. She knows what she's doing, though. She keeps going. She's backhand, two-hand fist, power slams, and everybody goes nuts. And so afterwards, like, the guy walks up, and he does, like, the hand-over-the-head competition to see who won. And it's like, you know, Tommy Thompson's crying because his family's booing him. And, like, Bob is, like, crying because it's eerily quiet. And then they get to Mary, and it's like, yeah! Oh, we won! She wins the prize. So why do I tell you this story? No, it wasn't my sister. I'm the last of nine kids, not the middle. But there's a time in that story 
where Mary was terrified. She didn't know what to do. And if she failed, she'd have been so embarrassed, she probably would have quit and never gone to a basketball game again because there's thousands of people in this auditorium. But what did her brother do? You got this. You can do it. Come on. You're not a failure. Try it. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. And in this Red Letter Challenge, there's going to be things that are going to be hard for you to do. Just keep trying. Have that community to allow them to cheer you on towards greatness. Because after all, we're all better together. We get a lot of small groups at this church. And if you're not a part of one, share. Shay, sorry, I did it again, Nate. Shay is uh, going to help you find one. So, so get involved. But here's the thing. To put Christ's words into practice, you need the strength of Jesus and the support of others. So welcome to the Red Letter Challenge. I'm super excited for you to do this. You're going to be led to spend a lot more time with the creator of the universe, your Lord and Savior. You're going to be led to stretch yourself, to try some new things, to sacrifice, and to just be. But I promise you as you go through this, we're going to get better as a church and because we're going to become better as individuals. And you're going to find this life on the back end of these 40 days that is absolutely incredible. I can think of no greater cause than the cause of Jesus. So let's, let's do it. I'm all in, are you? Awesome. Father God, thank you for your words. Thank you for inviting us to be your hands and feet to the world. Thank you for the opportunity to represent you. And even though at times, God, we sin, and every t- even though at times, God, we fail, your grace is always there. You're always there behind us saying, you got this. You can do this. I believe in you. You're not a failure. I love you. I pray, Father, that there would be no selfish ambition in this room. That we wouldn't do this because we would gain something other than a severely intimate relationship with you. I pray that as we go out these next 40 days, God, you would lead us, that others would see you in us. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for being willing to light up shadows and break down walls and passionately pursue us. You truly are an incredible God. We love you and we praise you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Before we break out of here, in your worship guide, if you look at the bottom, if you take any notes today, that's okay. But at the bottom, there's two things I need you to do. Number one, there's a zero to 10 scale. And that zero to 10 scale, we're going to bring the lights up just a little bit for me. So that way you can see the zero to 10 scale is for you to rate where you are, how you feel like you are in your relationship with Christ today. Because at the end of the 40 days, I want you to say, look at where I've come. By the grace of God, look at what I've, how far I've come. And number two, the second thing that I want you to do is I want you to list out some people that you're going to invite into this Red Letter Challenge with you. Who's it going to be? And then maybe your mission or your homework this week is to go out and talk to those people and invite them in. Fair enough? Thank you, guys.